He's offering us his cup for Ruth Gazelle's music there. So when God reveals himself to us at salvation, it's just the beginning. And it's not the finishing line, it's the starting line. And we enter into a process, into a journey, into the heart of the one who loves us with all his heart, soul, mind and strength. And we find that he's for us, not against us. And we begin to dare to believe it. His plans for me are good. Salvation is the beginning of a process of God being who he wants to be for us. He desires relationship with us above all things and there is a specific thing he will want to be for you right now. Whatever situation you're in, there is a facet of his personality that he will want to reveal to you. In the garden, God sought relationship with Adam and Eve and in the final garden, the heavenly one, his determined purpose will be fulfilled. He will have a people for himself. So everything we experience is intended to take us deeper into the heart of this glorious Father of lights. When we really encounter the living God, something happens inside us which means we leave with a different motivation. We leave with a different thought. It's all about him. When you've seen into his face, you have to put yourself into his hands. Maybe you're already seeing or experiencing something here today that's making you say, I cannot go away and ignore this. There is more. I can't remain in a place where I'm not meeting with him continually. What have you discovered about God that you didn't know before you came? How is he revealing himself to you? What's happening? Having seen him, you must go and commit yourself into his hands to be different, to do differently. And from this point, something will be emerging for some of you. So when he commands us to love him first, it's not from any selfish motive on his part, but because it's the best way to live our lives. Focused on him, then radiating out to others with his love. When Jesus spoke about Mary and Martha, he said that Mary had chosen the better path and there's a choice going on here. He also said it wouldn't be taken away from her. You can allow distraction or you can stay focused. The choice is yours. There's always a fight for intimacy. The devil hates believers who live close to the heart of God and in the heartbeat of God. Being able to hear the voice of our bridegroom should be our first priority and distraction is one of the enemy's main weapons against us in the quest for intimacy. Never, ever, ever, ever doubt that the Lord doesn't want intimacy with you. He desires to be with you with all of his heart and he loves every connection that he has with you. (coughs) The problem doesn't lie with the bridegroom but with the bride. She's cumbered about like Martha with many things. The problem in the Old Testament was never with the husband, it was always with the wife, Israel. She was the one who went off and committed adultery with other gods. And we're no different. There's a battle raging for our attention and affections and everything presses in. He desires our unshared love. We enjoy the fullness of his love for us. He doesn't share it. We have his fullness. He asks for nothing less from us. Unshared love. He wants to be first in our lives. And then we can have everything else because it will not endanger our primary relationship, which is with him. It's quite possible to be like a love-starved bride, to be like the woman who has everything, big house, lavishly furnished, cars, friends, children, but no intimacy with her husband. As a consequence, she's a candidate for adultery. If someone or something comes along that will satisfy that need, she'll go after it. So it's possible for believers to be Christ's love-starved bride. Because it's perfectly possible to have children and a family without intimacy. And sometimes we're like her. We have everything but intimacy with our bridegroom. And as a result of that, we will commit adultery in our hearts by chasing or focusing on something else. Something has to fill that eternal need within us to belong, to be known, to be loved intimately. It all comes back to keeping the first commandment first, 
loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and then and only then can we love our neighbour as ourselves. But first we must learn to stay in his presence long enough to allow his love to permeate us, to saturate us, to soak us, to flood us. Then we return to him the same love he's given to us. It takes God to love God. He's the creator, we're the creative. We wait, he initiates, we respond. Not rocket science, but for a race brought up to stand on their own feet, look after themselves, it's next to impossible to just receive. We must be doing something. Beloved, our who comes before our do. Unless we train ourselves to spend time in the presence, we'll never get our prayers answered. We'll never know how he feels about us. We'll never make any difference in our families, our street or our workplace. Hearing the voice of God is foundational to our relationship with the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Rejoicing in who he is and where he's placed us is the entry point from, to hearing from him. If we really, really understood where we are, rejoicing would be a way of life. We would not be overrun by the circumstances and situations of everyday life. First things must come first. God is first of all relational. He created us for relationship. He didn't create the world and then go off and leave it. And he will not rest himself until you know him as he wants to be known to you personally. So he says, who am I for you? For you. Who am I for you? This new year we're approaching is going to see us jettisoning our ideas of what we think faith is, what we think church is, and begin to see things from a kingdom perspective. We're in for a time of change and restoration to the purposes of God in our generation, not the purposes of man. Twenty years ago or more now, there was a prophetic word and God was saying, give me back my church. I don't believe we did. We are still in our organisations and institutions doing the same old, same old, but I believe with all my heart. He's coming soon for his church and this next year will change things and turn us on our heads and will love the freshness of doing things his way. The joy of his presence. In his presence there is fullness of joy. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. If there's fullness, why are we settling for measure? Poverty is not just about money. It's about relationships. It covers the whole of our lives. If we walk with a poverty mindset, we'll proclaim a poverty gospel over ourselves. As Graham Cook would say, we have the all right news, the not so bad news, instead of the good news. In 2002, at Christmas time, the Lord began to speak to me from Matthew 15, 8 and 9, part of which says, These people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, teaching for commandments the doctrines of men. I've meditated on what he was saying on and off for six years now. I know him. He's not being condemnatory, but what exactly is he saying? I'm coming to the conclusion that it's largely because we live on someone else's experience of him and not on our own. We do not live in loving intimacy. Our experience of him can be vicarious. It's experienced through someone else. Our testimony is not made up of the things we've seen him do, but the books we've read about other people's experiences or the latest conference speaker and our hearts are indeed far from him because we lack an intimate relationship with him and his heart is aching with longing. This has actually led to us becoming demanding in our relationship. God, you've done this for somebody else, why can't you do it for me? That's what I mean when I talk about raping him. We are insisting that he does things the way we want them. After all, he's perfectly able, so why doesn't he just get on with it and do it? Demanding this. No love. Friend of mine, daughter, desperately ill, been ill for some years, had kidney transplant, had uh, mother's kidney. That kidney's failed now, she needs another one. 
So mother is praying till she's got no strength left. But she's disappointed basically with God because he isn't delivering the goods. She wouldn't admit that. But there it is. And what it is is, God, I'm standing here hollering my heart out. Why don't you do something? Demanding this. Disappointment and a recipe for disaster born out of lack of intimacy. We're so unaware, as I said earlier, of the emotional shift that took place in the earth at the fall that we're totally oblivious to how it affects our relationships both with him and with each other. This is something we'll be addressing next year. Uh, what was done to us, what we receive as being love and how although we become Christ's, we still largely operate from the same value system as the world. We live our lives out in eros, not in agape in self-centred, self-serving love and not in self-giving love. There has to be a displacement to receive the love of God. Something of you has got to go so that something of him can come. It's all about displacement. Have another thought. We have actually got to die and let him live. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and anyone who's railing at God doesn't fear him. So the first thing we display when we rebel against him is where you are in the relationship, if you see what I mean. Stands to reason, if you think you could become a crisp at any moment, it puts an edge on what you say and how you approach someone. I'm constantly checking with the Holy Spirit whether it's okay to say that. This morning while... And I was talking, he said something, and I said, okay, okay, right, yeah. And I said, is it all right to say okay? Yeah. I'm sensitive. I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to offend him. I love him too much. And, I, and, and he refines you right down to the last scruple. I can't think or say last week what I thought and said last week. It's brilliant. He's got more room. They said it was okay. Thank you. Okay, okay, okay. At the heart of our relationship with God, then, there is a fear of the Lord. Unless you fear him in a right way, you won't be able to either receive his love or love him. And when I describe this, I mean honour and respect for who he is. I always say it's rather like your dad's the um, CEO of a huge company. Everybody else has to make an appointment. But you're his kid, so you could go in at any time. But if there happened to be people who worked for the company then when you went in to see your father, you wouldn't bounce in and start jayarking with him because of the honour of the position that he holds. So you would want to respect him in front of other people. That's the sort of honour and respect. I love the Lord with everything in me, but I also have a reverent respect and awe and a fear of who he is. Honour and respect are so lacking in our society, it spills over into all our relationships with each other and even with God himself. How often do we actually treat him as though he's our servant instead of the other way around? But he's so lovely. He absorbs all our rebellion. Do you know he absorbs it? Our strife, our dissatisfaction with him, our ugliness, and he just keeps on loving us and he waits. He waits for us to see who needs to move their feet. He doesn't hit us, discipline us, or castigate us. He loves us faithfully, patiently, endlessly, and in the end, it's this love that breaks us. Graham tells a story recently where he was waiting on the Lord with his notebook, ready for um, the instruction for the next meeting that was coming up, and nothing came, and he kept setting aside time, and he sat there with this notebook, and finally, he's within a couple of hours of this meeting, and he said, one of us is going to be on a final warning, you know. <laughs> and he said, it isn't going to be me. Lord, you know, what is it you want here? And uh, the Lord said, I don't want you to teach it, I want you to prophesy it. So I said, oh, that's all right then. <laughs> it was the way he said, one of us will be on a final warning, maybe laugh so that. The Lord has such a, a tremendous sense of humour. But he was acquainted with sorrow. He was acquainted with sorrow. 
the sorrow in your life. He's not laughing at that sorrow. He was acquainted with sorrow. What a God. So the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, this is absolutely an essential ingredient. Another area of misunderstanding is the role of the Holy Spirit. Someone I spoke to recently, they were going to speak in their church and um, I forget the way it panned out, but he got the first half of this talk all right. But the second half of it he couldn't get. And I said, well, what's your relationship like with the Holy Spirit? What do you mean? I said, well, there's three people involved here, Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Oh, I don't have any relationship with the Holy Spirit. I said, best go away then and make his acquaintance. 24 hours later, I got a glowing report because suddenly he had realised it wasn't just God the Father. It was Jesus the Son, the Bridegroom, and the Holy Spirit, who's his indwelling tutor. And he's flying. He got the second half of his talk. No trouble at all. But he had to meet the Holy Spirit in order that he could introduce the Holy Spirit to the people he wanted to talk to. So funny. God got the first half fine. I can't get a second half. There you go. So let's just have a look at John 14, 1 to 31. And Jesus says this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. Good old Thomas, duh. And how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. So if you're acquainted with Jesus, you know the Father. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. Another one. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words I speak to you I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me the works that I will do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. See, love and obedience go hand in hand. I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Double wrapped. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, third time, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Oh, he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all things I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. 
If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. And then he says, I will not talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit that Jesus asked the Father to send. Third member of the Godhead is not an it, is a who, is a person, and he desires to have relationship with us as individuals. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit is undeniably the sweetest wine. And when he comes in, he comes as God. By the end of the session, I do pray you will understand why he indwells you. It's not simply in order that you may speak in tongues, blessed assurance though that is. There is so much more to his role in our lives that requires to be explored. As I said, he's a person, he's God, and he desires to be known. It's his fruit that comes forth from us, and if he's to bear fruit in and through us, we must decrease that he may increase. There isn't room for the two of us. Any of you who have read Rhys Howe's Intercessor know that the Holy Spirit said to Rhys Howe, if I come in, you go out. And he gave Rhys until six o'clock one evening to make his decision. At a few minutes to six, Rhys was sweating about what he saw he would have to relinquish. And the Holy Spirit said to him, would you like some help? Oh, the wondrous help of the Holy Spirit. As the clock struck six, Rhys relinquished his hold and the Holy Spirit came into him in all his power. As a result of that man's prayers in, for England, we're a free country this day. One person wholly surrendered to God. The Holy Spirit is our personal trainer, given by the Father at Jesus' request. I will pray the Father and he will send you another comforter. The literal translation is literally one just like me. So you have Jesus within you, the Spirit of Jesus within you, to enable you to live the life that he wants you to live, that you might do greater things than he did, because he's gone to the Father. Beloved, that is our inheritance. Read the book of the Acts of the Apostles and you'll see what happened when the early disciples were baptised in the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come and they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Unless we're tuned to hear the Holy Spirit, we'll miss God's best for our lives. There's great grace on us right now, and his kingdom will not come on earth as he intends it, unless we appropriate that grace to live a, a life far higher than we are currently in. We are the means by which his kingdom is intended to come. We pray it, don't we? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Do you know in heaven the angels answer right away? Yes, sir. They don't argue, they just do it immediately. So it's entirely possible to hear from God on a daily basis, moment by moment communion and connection. In fact, it's imperative that we should. It's God's desire that we should. True spiritual growth in the church will not be realised till we accept his purposes for our lives and cease to pursue our own goals. It will not be realised until we recognise we are his purchased possession, we are his inheritance, and he's ours. We are the eternal companion of an incredible king. It will not be realised until we're in a position to hear and respond to what God is saying to us as individuals. He made us, we used to sing, for his delight, gave us the gift of life, created us family to be his glory. 
He created us for relationship, intimate relationship. He didn't create us to speak to us once a week at our Sunday morning service, but to have an intimate, ongoing relationship. He placed Adam and Eve in the garden so he could fellowship with them. He walked in the cool of the evening and talked with Adam. Often when we become Christians, there's a period of intense happiness and joy. The new birth has stimulated our human spirit and we hear God's voice very clearly. Obedience isn't a struggle and we look forward to our communion with him. Sometimes it doesn't last long and we find ourselves caught up again in the mundane, the ordinary things of life and the thrill of hearing from the Almighty is lost. His voice grows fainter until we're accustomed to no longer hearing him. First love has called into routine married life like the church at Ephesus. I just don't love him anymore. She left her first love, didn't she? Ephesus. Didn't lose it. She left it. Just didn't love him anymore. Or is it the parable of the sower? Even the seed which fell on good ground brought forth a variable yield, you notice, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Even with a good ground, the crop's not guaranteed although the seed is top quality. Or is it ground where the seed is snatched away before it can really root? There's no doubt that people are born again, it's just that they never seem to go on to maturity or to desire to do so. Something is stunting their growth and diverting them from the pursuit of God. As the weeks turn to months, the new believer hears less and less of the voice of God. The distractions have been successful, and in the church, well, the pastor will just find more jobs for them to do, get them filled with religious busyness, never mind training their spirit. Busyness is not a sign of fruitfulness. All emphasis now is on the outer life, activity and doing, rather than the inner life and being. As a result, the inner man excuse me, doesn't develop as he should, and the new Christian just follows the parade without knowing where it's headed, as A.W. Tozer would say. Someone said to me recently, no one can interpret the book of Revelation, and from this remark I gathered that the opinion of the denomination had already taken root, and their ears would be closed to any idea that Jesus meant us to understand this book. It's very easy to understand the book of Revelations. It's not a difficult book. We are told that we are blessed if we read it. The fact is that people have tried to twist it. And that is what has made it difficult, because when you try to twist it, it will not fit. And so they stay out of it, rather than accepting what it's actually saying, which is the wrath of God is being poured out, and the glory of God is being shown forth. It's about the revelation of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's why we need to look at it. Anyway. So we're indoctrinated and we're following the parade without knowing where it's going. We're trusting that the man at the front knows where he's going, but we've actually no guarantee and perchance he's going round in circles. In reality, all outside direction and stimulus should only serve as a confirmation to the voice of the Lord which is within the spirit of the new believer. There's nothing wrong with information outside as long as it is confirming what the Spirit is saying on the inside. What usually seems to happen is that we're trained to trust the pastor. He's a nice enough guy after all. The latest book, the latest information we're receiving through the Christian network, rather than the inner voice of the Spirit. But when push comes to shove and we are in crisis, we find we cannot hear what God is saying. Oops, sorry. How many of us have found ourselves in that situation? And I don't want to share that. This results in what I call foxhole faith. By that I mean when we're really up against it, we cry out to God out of our foxhole. We are desperate to hear from him in order to alleviate our current circumstances. And when he responds in his grace, we return with much relief to our normal existence. Oh, over that crisis, thank you, Father. I spent many years like that before I was a Christian. Do you know that God hears and answers the prayers of the unbeliever? Well, he does. I can testify to that. He surely answered my prayers many, many times before I became his. 
In fact, I came into Christianity knowing that God answers prayer because that had been my experience as an unbeliever. We appear to have completely lost sight of the New Testament principle that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us to teach us and train us in the way we should go. But we haven't been taught to listen to our inner man and we have churches full of dwarf Christians who have a growth hormone deficiency. They're incapable of knowing when God is speaking to them or even believing that he might want to. As Bob Mumford would say, our reaction most likely is when God speaks to us is that I rebuke you, devil. You know the story about the man in the fish tank, don't you? <laughs> don't you? No. This guy's got these fishes in this tank and he loves them. And God's seeking to take him on further. Every night he comes home and he gazes at his fishes going backwards and forwards in the tank. God says, get rid of the fish tank. I rebuke you, devil. Watching the fishes. Get rid of the fish tank. I rebuke you, devil. Well, this goes on until he finally realises it's God that's talking. So the fish, much to Tim's horror and anguish, he tips down the toilet and he's just carrying the fish tank itself to put it up somewhere safe for the next time he's going to have fish. And the Holy Spirit says, and where are you going with that? <laughs> Tank's got to go as well. This thing was in the way of his relationship with God. He had an idol in his heart and it was a fish tank full of fish. Watching the fish. I rebuke you, devil. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. Another they will not follow. One of the main roles, as I said to you before, of a prophet is to teach people to hear God for themselves. Every single Christian should be able to hear what God is saying to them and ideally what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Because as you listen, that's why I wasn't surprised, I was delighted when I heard that I was hearing in my little bedroom the same thing that Graham Cook is saying, that the Spirit is saying. You don't have to go, he told me a long time ago, you didn't have to go to Toronto, I am Toronto. So you've got your very own Toronto, you have your very own blessing within you. It's a question of releasing the Spirit. And as I said earlier on, you release the Spirit by speaking out your praise, your thanksgiving, your worship, your rejoicing when you do not feel like it because your ears hear it, your spirit man rises to it and you're off. That's the only way. We're so reserved as Christians that we pray silently. I'm ever so glad I don't go can hear you. doesn't do anything for you, does it? You know. <clears throat> So the aim of today is to sharpen your hearing in order that you may indeed hear the voice of the Master and follow. Here's another quotation, and this one is anonymous. If you absolutely sell yourself to be his love slave, he will wrap you up in a jealous love and bestow upon you many blessings which only come to those who are in the inner circle. Then, when you are so possessed with the living God that you are in your secret heart, pleased and delighted over this peculiar, personal, private, jealous guardianship and management of the Holy Spirit over your life, you will have found the vestibule of heaven. So how would your life look like, what would your life look like if you became his love slave? And whilst I was praying about this session, I said to the Holy Spirit, you've got to write this because it's all about you. He said this to me, tell them about me. So that's what I'm going to endeavour to do now. I want to tell you who he is for me, in order that you may understand the kind of relationship he desires with you. He's my beloved. Without him, I can do absolutely nothing. Without his constant and consistent encouragement and love in my life, it will be empty. He is the personification of Jesus to me. He speaks to me of Jesus. He brings the love of the Father. He makes the scriptures real to me. He's my constant companion and I love him. I would not trade the relationship I have with the Holy Spirit for anything this world offers. Nothing. He is so dear to me I cannot express it. 
It's not so much what he imparts, that's wonderful enough, but who he is. He's the kindest person I've ever known. He always tells me like it is. He doesn't let me get away with anything and I don't want him to. He's my constant companion on my journey and I love him. I had a dream years ago and in the dream, I expect I've told you before, I was in a crowded um, station, uh, railway station, waiting to get a ticket but because I was only short, I couldn't get near to the to the place where they were selling the tickets. Um, and I looked at the clock and I thought, I've missed that train, I'm going to miss that train, I can't get my ticket. And all of a sudden, over the heads of the people came a pound coin being passed from person to person and someone pressed it into my hand and said, it's for your journey to get a cup of tea. And I thought, well, how kind. And the next minute the scene changed and in my dream I was running and there was someone behind me with their hands on my middle just holding me like this and really running with me, carrying me along. And I'm chatting away to this person who was behind me, telling him all about deliverance and all this and that, and chatting away, chatting away. And I stepped in a puddle, and this great oily puddle rolled over my lovely summer shoes. They were white, with a little crest on the front. Oh, no. But as, as I looked at them, it rolled away, and they are absolutely... We never stopped our running. We were just like, all of a sudden there's a hill. I'm thinking, I won't get up that. And before I knew where I was, I was at the top. And when I woke up and I prayed about it, I realised it was the Holy Spirit. He carries you along through everything. He just carries you if you're letting. And he's even given me money for my journey. I thought that's absolutely lovely. So he's the source of all my revelation, my anointing, my strength, my provision. He teaches me to worship. I'm asking him, Upgrade my worship. I don't know how to worship. Teach me how to worship Jesus. Teach me how to love him. I can't do it, you see. So I've got to ask him to show me how to do it. I don't know how to do this thing. He's always there. He never ever departs from me. I've received his admonition, but I've received his comfort too. He's altogether lovely, and he burns with love for me. He literally burns with love for me. And I am overcome by him. I'm his love slave. So is he. He's our friend, our comforter, the promise of the Father, the Spirit of Christ. He is as Jesus to us and will glorify Jesus to us. He's a person. Never, never, never refer to him as it or the power or the force. Never think that you can control him. You don't have him, beloved. He has you. He's the third member of the Godhead and is eternal and co-equal with Jesus and the Father. Smith Wigglesworth said this of him. What a wonderful divine position God intends us all to have, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's something so remarkable so divine it is as it were a great door open into all the treasury of the most high as the spirit comes like rain on the mown grass psalm 72 6 he turns the barrenness into greenness and freshness and life god wants you to know that there is a place you may come in you may come to in which you are dispensed with and god comes to be your assurance and sustaining power spiritually until your dryness is turned into springs, until your barrenness becomes floods, until your whole life becomes vitalised by heaven, until heaven sweeps through you and dwells within you and turns everything inside out, until you are so absolutely filled with divine possibilities that you begin to live as a new creation. The spirit of the living God sweeps through all weaknesses. Have some of that, eh? The Holy Spirit wants to bring us to an ever greater, ever increasing re revelation of life. He wants us to be filled with all the fullness of God. If you really want to sell yourself completely to be his love slave, now is your time. There's a place of fullness, not measure, for 
For every one of us where rivers, not streams, rivers of living water flow from our inmost being and refresh every person with whom we come into contact. Rivers means that you have the right thing for every person. You don't just have one flow. Whatever person is in front of you, that flow flows out to them exactly meeting where their need is, because God's like that. So you want to be filled with rivers, but to do that, you've got to move over. God's desire for you is that you should be so immersed, covered and flooded with the light and revelation of this precious person that your whole body will be filled and not only filled but covered over till you walk in the very presence and power of God. I want it, don't you? What is this life if it isn't lived to the full for him? I want fullness. And if I have fullness, there won't be any less for you. God never runs dry. He never runs out and he's never short. His quickening spirit will put to death everything that needs to die in us in order that life may be made manifest. May God grant us that we may more and more abandon ourselves to him until he has absolute sway over our bodies, souls and spirits, until there's no room for anything but himself, that Jesus may indeed be made manifest in our mortal flesh that the world may believe. Sometimes I think we completely lose sight of the purpose of our creation. It was for his delight. He made us for his delight. It was that we might be the eternal companion of an incredible king. We have been translated into the kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness, but that kingdom of darkness will not easily let us go. There is a universal assignment to obstruct our hearing, because the enemy knows that Christians who have an intimate relationship and constant communion with the Holy Spirit are a serious threat to his kingdom. I won't read this now because uh, you can do it yourself, but do you remember the story of Jehoshaphat and the enemy coming up the hill at Ziz? And you'll see it in 2 Chronicles 25 and following. Um, those who hear the voice of God, you see, are capable of knowing the mind of the Spirit and receiving strategies in prayer from the throne room which will expose the work of the enemy. I've already given you an example of how if you seek God in a situation, he'll tell you how to pray and it's so simple and it's bullseye every time. The awkward one is he says, when he says, what do you want? And you think, I don't know because I don't ask big enough, so you best to tell me, because otherwise I won't get the biggest and the best for whoever it is I happen to be praying for. So you get strategies, because you're standing in the throne room, and it exposes the work of the enemy. And Jehoshaphat is a really good example, because there they are, surrounded by the enemy, absolutely desperate, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are on you. And the prophet hears the voice of God for the situation. It's not a good situation. They're surrounded, they're facing annihilation, and he's desperate to hear from God what they can do. And I love it because it's such a poignant moment. They're all standing and it says, they're all there with their little ones. So there's a whole lot of them, children and all, all just looking up to God because they're completely stuffed. But the first thing he does is reminds God of who he is. O oh Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not the God in heavens? Are you not the ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands so that no one can withstand you. And then he reminds him what he's done. Didn't you, with, didn't you drive out these people? You have to confess it out. Your mouth has to say the stuff. Your ears have to hear it. So he goes on telling the Lord what he's already done. And then he says, O oh Lord our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against you. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives and their children. When Joyce and I worked out of Paddock Woods here on our, the outreach, the mission that God had got us on, we had a place called the Wesley Centre down the road. It still exists. And this thing three times was up for development. 
Um, and the first time had come and gone, hadn't it? And the thing fell through. But this time, um, Dennis, who was the vicar here then, um, was due to sign the papers that morning. So we were holding something of a wake in the Wesley Centre, saying, well, this is be the last time we'll be in here, teas and coffees, and there was an air of misery about the whole thing. But Joyce and I had stood before the Lord the night before and said, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are on you. All of a sudden comes a runner from the vicar's office. It was, oh, what was his name? Mike Coldsworth. Girls, girls, he said, it's fallen through. What do you mean it's fallen through? Well, the government has just changed the interest rates and the developer has pulled out. Governmental level. At that point, one of the girls said, I had a picture last night, but I didn't tell you. She said, I saw a JCB coming up the front path of the Wesley Centre, and then this great hole opened up and it fell down it. <laughs> We're in business again. So we dug around that fig tree for three years at least, didn't we? And the third time it came up for grabs. And we just prayed that it would stay in, that it would not be a development site, they wouldn't build houses on it, that it would be still for the use of the community. That's what we asked the Lord to do, and then we let it go and blessed it, because he moved us on to do something else. It's now Citizens Advice Bureau and something else. The building is still there, because it was God's building for God's purpose. Both sides they built houses on. Most of the are still standing there. Yeah. So it's like this, you know. And then in the middle of all this, the Spirit of the Lord comes on Jehazael, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, son of Matthew, I won't go on. And he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, now where's he been standing in the presence of the Lord? Thus says the Lord to you. Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in the front of the wilderness of Jerul. That's pretty specific. You go do that. They're coming round here. Snap, you've got them. They had to go and do something. You do the natural thing. You do what you can do, and God does the rest. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourself. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. And what's his response to that? He worships. A bit like Gideon and it going down and wanting to get some confirmation. And he goes into the camp of the enemy and happens to stand by a tent where the man's just had a dream of a barley loaf rolling down. You want to hear Graham Cook on this one? Barley loaf, sword of the Lord, sword of the Lord, barley loaf. Can't make the connection. <laughs> no, none other than the sword of Gideon. <laughs> and they all run. Oh. <laughs> One with God, beloved, is a majority. It really is. So the first thing Jehoshaphat does is he goes to God and reminds him of what he's done in the past. Then he calls on this sovereign God to help them in their distress and then he declares his powerlessness without his help. And God loves this. Total dependency. With the result that Jehaziel gets the prophetic word that wins the battle, which incidentally isn't theirs, it's the Lord's, and they end up in worship. They receive the revelation about their problem because they went to him. So we have to be trained to hear the voice of God and that training comes as we spend time in his presence. There's no shortcut. To be present with God, you have to spend time in the presence of God. Let it not be said of us as it was of the Hebrew Christians, for I have much more to say to you, but you have become dull of hearing. It's Hebrews 5.11. The implication of this scripture is that they were once able to hear, but they become dull. They become deaf for whatever reason. God loves to talk to his people and commune with them. So right now, if what I've said so far has made you realise that you haven't done justice to your calling by spending time with him and obeying what he's been speaking to you about, let's just have a few moments 
And I just want to read you something else afterwards, so I'll just give you five minutes or maybe even less um, to just respond to him. Okay. So, as we come to the end of this year, I want to read a prophecy uh, by Bob Jones, and it's dated March 2008. And it came from a Lakeland meeting. Um, comes came off of uh, Crosby and Wilmer's website, actually. Uh, Lakeland meeting in March of this year. And it's this. Tell them of my ways. What do I require of them this day? That they may draw close to me and stay that way continually. For I've come close to them this night. I've brought the golden earring and the awl with which to pierce your ear so you would ever be a love slave to me. For I say to those who are love slaves to me, will be the closest to me. They will come and minister to me. They will say to me how they love me and how I am everything to them, both night and day. So this is what the Lord is saying this day. Come and totally give yourself. Come and give yourself to him in every way, so that his holiness can go through you and he can use you in these coming days. For it is in many ways he will use you, because you will be right at his head. Your ear will be tuned to him, and you will hear what he says, and you will take it to those to whom he speaks clearly. What will it cost you to have such great intimacy with me? Everything. What have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? For I have got everything waiting for you. For you. For you were created to minister, me, to minister to me, says the Lord. In this day I am calling you to come close to me. And I will put the golden earring in your ear. And then your main testing will begin. For you will be responsible for obeying what you hear from me. Get ready to hear clearly and obey. It's what you've been wanting. And those who surrender themselves to me, out of them shall flow my river of life, which has already begun this very day. Those that are my servants, sometimes they will heal, sometimes they will deliver, but they will always be in my will, in what I am saying that day. So they will do many different things. Don't major on one thing. My son did many things when he was here with you in his day. And now I am raising up sons and daughters that look just like him, for this is the only thing that pleases me, that his nature is in all of you, and that it will remain there continually as relationship increases between you and me. And again, you may wish to consider that prophecy and your response to it. Prophecy often requires a response from us, a yes, Lord, and this one does so particularly. So may God grant that this coming year will be for us the year of our rising, when we know as we are known, the year when everything Jesus won for us on the cross begins to be made manifest in our lives to his eternal glory and fame. So God bless you and thank you for listening. <laughs>